You're listening to a podcast by Oak Magazine. I would like to acknowledge the Dja Wurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was recorded. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine. And I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. Sarah is a paediatric critical care nurse at the Royal Children's Hospital and has cared for many critically injured children and those with complex medical needs whose parents navigate the medical world from home every single day. Many of these children reside in regional and rural Australia. As a mum of four, Sarah knows too well the difficulties that rural families have in accessing specialised paediatric care. And it is her mission to bridge this gap to provide paediatric carer training and education to carers and parents of children, regardless of their postcode. Through her company, Peds Education, Sarah is driven to reach the unreachable through hybrid and online training. She hopes this increased access to specialised training will improve support, reduce the burden of care and improve the outcomes of children and their community. Sarah shares with us why she applied for the award what she has learned about herself in the process and the importance of her project. Let me introduce you to my friend and Victorian finalist, Sarah. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for being part of our special little series, which focuses on your journey as one of five Victorian finalists for the Agri Futures Rural Women's Award for 2023. It's very exciting. <laughs> it is. It's yeah. hugely exciting. Do you think you've celebrated it enough? Oh, what a great question to start off with. Um, I have celebrated personally. Um, I think I celebrated initially after uh, the pitch and the interview in Melbourne. I have been so incredibly busy over the last couple of weeks that I don't think I've actually digested at all, but I've got a few days off now before the award ceremony on Monday night. So I think I'm going to just let myself sit with it and enjoy this next few days and be proud of what I've achieved over the last little while. Yeah, I wish I had a celebrated more. <laughs> I want I want my time again. I don't know if I'm allowed to go back and have a redo, but um yeah, it just I was just like I didn't have a little party or didn't go out for tea or any of that, and I really wish I had of um yeah, because yeah, I'm just not no, sure if it'll happen again. Yeah. You know, after the after the actual um, night, after the day that we'd done all of our interviews, all of the girls uh, had a drink together at the end and it was really lovely to celebrate with one another and just, yeah, really celebrate each other's achievements um, and being rural women. Oh, where was my invite? Jeez. Oh, you went home on the train. <laughs> I did. I did actually. I made the train home, so yeah. I was absolutely wrapped with that, with my leftovers from tea, yeah. but anyway... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sure the whole um the whole carriage was uh really impressed with the yes. smell of garlic and Man, yes. um yeah marinated lamb um everyone's best friend but um what I thought now your project it focused uh on the NDIS which I don't feel that everyone would know a lot about I you know it's it's sort of one of those things that you know little bits but you know it's a I think what most of us know is it's a very complicated system. Um, but there was a statistic uh, from your presentation that I thought was really interesting and you've got a little bit more to expand on it, but that was that by June this year, so 2023, um, 5% of all children will be on the NDIS. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, which is quite um, quite a surprising statistic. And, yes, you are very correct when you say the NDIS is complicated. Um, I have done a deep dive in the last uh, 18 months or so since this has become um, a really uh, big part of what I'm doing at PEDS. Um, but, yeah, just expanding on that, so 5% of all Australian children by June 2023 on the NDIS scheme and almost 3% of those children will be residing in regional, rural and remote Australia. So we know that as the level of remoteness increases, so do or so does the number of children who are living with disability, which is quite surprising um, and certainly presents many challenges for those families. Mm. And you shared a few stories in your presentation uh, as well. And um, yeah, you were just sort of explaining that there's so much more isn't there and um, not a lot of support either. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the spectrum of disability is absolutely massive. Um, and at PEDS, uh, our focus is on the physical um, disability aspects that we are able to train parents and carers in the community how to manage so we're talking about things like how to suction a child who needs suctioning how to care for a peg which is a different way that a child is fed so into their tummy directly or children who have gone have gone home with tubes um, to feed or to have uh, medications through so that's the side of the NDIS uh, spectrum that we sit on at PEDS um, and that we're focusing on for our training but certainly uh, the, as remoteness increases, the, the access to specialised services, in particular paediatric services, decreases dramatically. Mm, it's really concerning, isn't it? Like if we dug right into that in an episode, um, yeah, just so concerning and things need to be done about it, obviously, and, and that's why you have your project, which is incredible. Um, in terms of the award, has that been on your radar for a while? Yeah, it's something that I've always looked at, but it's interesting, Kimberly. I uh, I grew up in regional Victoria and then I moved to the Big Smoke for work uh, and I was in uh, the city for a number of years, um, but always had my heart in the country. And so uh, we moved out to the country about eight or nine years ago um, and have really set up our life out here in rural Victoria. Um, I still work in the city but I have established my life in rural Victoria and it's where I want my children to grow up. But I think for a long time the thought of me being a rural woman, woman was actually quite hard to comprehend 
uh, certainly something I wanted to call myself, but uh, it was almost a stigma that you had to be, you know, born and raised in rural Victoria and been living on a farm your entire life. But it's certainly not that at all. So whilst I'd been looking at the award for some time, it's really only in the last sort of 18 months that I've really um, embraced that title of rural women and know that the work that I'm doing is just so instrumental for families. Um, and I think living in the area, knowing the challenges that uh, someone who doesn't have children with disabilities uh, faces, let alone those who have those additional challenges that they're facing every single day. Mm. And you just touched on a, a point that I think is really important. What I love about the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award is is them trying to break down that stereotype of what a rural woman looks like. Um, air quote marks. I mean, we we just have to Google rural woman and and have a look at the images that come up, and it's you know it's an Akubra or a you know a farm hat and checked shirt and pearls or whatever, and um, you know that couldn't be further from the truth. And I think just with my own experience with the media, especially the day after being announced um, national runner-up, like a couple of those questions actually came through. Um, you know, was it oh you're not a typical rural woman though? Like you know, and it's I mean there's ways that you can answer that and the way that you want to is just like next question um <laughs> but yeah I, it's just you know we are all I think um all of us that are coming through uh just really trying to to work on that stereotype and, and break down that stigma um you know and just yeah that there are so many different elements that make us rural. So, um, yeah, and it's not just about living rural, is it? It's about you know you trying to really contribute to the growth and the sustainability of a rural community um, into the future. We don't want to lose our beautiful rural com communities. Yeah, absolutely. Now, why did you apply? What was it that? Uh, what was that big catalyst? Was it something that you noticed as soon as applications opened, or did you sit on it for a while, or was it? you know, sort of like me and just that 11th hour. <laughs> I sat on it for a long time, actually. Um, I think probably the catalyst for me, I have three sons. And then last year, I gave birth to a beautiful little girl who's our um, delightful full stop. And I actually think uh, since her birth, I have become more intense than ever before to sort of show her what she can do as a rural woman and as a, as a girl growing up. And I think, you know, that really led me to look to these platforms where we can really support and encourage girls and young women and older women to really embrace who they are and to really celebrate what they're doing in the community. So yes, I sat on it for a while and yes, it, it was last minute for me to apply because I, I had so much self-doubt and I had that horrible thing called imposter syndrome where I just thought, no, I, I can do it. I'd, I'd done half of the application and then I close it down and I get it back out again and try again. Um, and then in the end, it was my husband who said, you have to give yourself a platform to showcase the project that is just going to change so many lives. And if you don't do it, you never will. So that was the real sort of um, the tipping point for me to, to, to apply in the first place. And I'm just so glad I did and I'm so glad I've had his support and the support of so many other people who have yeah been cheering me on for this, from the sidelines. 
Yeah. Um, husbands, partners, whoever we live with, they make great cheerleaders. Um, absolutely. They have to, to live with it all, um, the highs and the lows. How did you feel during the interview process, uh, specifically like what we've just really done? And that was the in-person uh, presentation. So, you know, you've got your 15 minutes, um, I suppose, PowerPoint, if you might, presentation. And then we just pretty much ask you 101 questions, like <laughs> for as long as we want. Um, but no, generally for, I don't know, it was about 20 minutes, do you reckon? Yeah, it went yeah. Fast, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, about 20 minutes. Yeah. Look, as someone who's used to speaking in front of others, um, I do this in my role uh, at Pease Education, but also as a nurse, I'm constantly speaking to parents at the bedside and delivering, you know, handovers to numerous teams. So I'm certainly not afraid of speaking in front of people. Um, so the pitch delivery itself wasn't something I was scared of doing. However, I have never been more nervous about anything in my entire life. And I reflected on why that was. And I think it comes down to the fact that this project is not, it's not about me or positioning myself on a pedestal. Um, I think, you know, this project has so many implications for these little people and families in rural areas who actually need this to happen. So there was a lot riding on it. And I think I felt the pressure from that perspective. Um, but in saying that, I actually sat with that and I actually let myself feel nervous because I do much better when I'm under pressure. So it's a strategy I've always used. Um, and I acknowledge that and I, and I let myself sit with that and let myself feel all those feels um, but then I do something about it and that's something for me is what's called military breathing <laughs> this is going to sound very strange but um my kids actually call it rainbow breathing and they actually told me to do this on the day of the interview because my they're very in tune with me and they said to me mum you look really panicky and I said I know I am really nervous actually and they said to me you've got to practice your rainbow breathing which is very similar to the military breathing and what it is is you breathe in for four and then out for four and you picture a box as you do it so yes that's how I felt during the interview process um once I was in there it was you know so much more relaxing than what I probably envisioned it to be um and of course you were all lovely panelists um and made me feel very very comfortable oh good because I felt like I had a really um intense concentration face <laughs> you're all very close you uh, need to be in a bit bigger room so you're very, very close. well yeah it, it was a surprise to me or sitting on a little table together but hey it, I suppose it um it maybe makes it feel a little bit more intimate and that it is a conversation because that's exactly what it is when it gets to um yeah those Q and A's but talking about that breathing um something that I'd picked up in our media training uh, at Summit in Aubrey from Roche. Um, she is an incredible media trainer. Uh, she was just saying, um, you know, and we went outside to do this, was to like hang our heads over. So usually you'd go find a toilet if you're in an event, hang yourself in half. Um, so head down and yeah, just obviously a couple of deep breaths, you know, some star jumps, something to get rid of that, that nervous energy. Um, it was so interesting. I just uh, emceed an event where Mark Boris was the keynote speaker. I have a bit of a crush on Mark Boris. My <laughs> husband is well aware of that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and it was in front of 200 people, you know, sort of a big deal and you're on a big stage with bright lights. But, um, yeah, same thing, like I was just trying to move and, and shake out um, mm. those nerves. And, and as you said, it's just getting your breathing under control. Like I think that's the the biggest thing about whether it's um, – an interview, podcasting, you know, standing up and, and doing a presentation. Um, once you get that breathing, 
and it's those big deep ones um I don't know everything just follows doesn't it yeah it's a bit like labor isn't it giving birth (laughs) when they they actually focus on your breathing and and if you do actually you find you know you you can do it a lot better but yes I'll have to take your word for that Uh, (laughs) I had seizures so didn't have to focus on my breathing so much as um yeah worrying about whether I was going to pass out or something so um (laughs) but um I mean that would be a whole nother podcast series I think (laughs) tell me um did you learn anything about yourself through the process that that was a little bit of a surprise because it like it is intense and you know you are standing up as yourself like you know, that whole toll poppy syndrome, I mean, you've sort of got to put it to the side, don't you? Because you really do need to stand up and say, hey, I'm good at this, this and this, and this is, yeah, and I'm confident about that. Absolutely. And that's really hard to do. And I think I found that in particular, really hard to do because as a nurse and as a mum, and I think I mentioned this in the interview, uh, there's not a lot of time for me. Um, And so actually celebrating this award as my own and owning it is actually a challenging thing for me to do. But um, at the same time, it's a really great learning process is to actually tune into what your passions are and what your strengths are as well and celebrate those. It's really Uh, such a great skill um, in terms of your self-confidence and your self-awareness. So, look, I think I learned that I have more of a passion for this than I actually first discovered. The more I really deep-dived into why I was um, applying for this project, Um, you know, I really deep-dived into the statistics and the actual situation in rural and remote Australia for these kids and their families. And I think it has made me so much more passionate than I ever was. So I knew all along that I was hell-bent on making it happen, but the more I think I really understood my why, the more I realised how much uh, this has actually been a part of me for a very long time. And yes, you could say easily easily correlates to my role as a nurse in my career, but I think it stems back from my childhood. And I think I spent a lot of time reflecting on that too when I was preparing my, um, my pitch. Uh, you know, I grew up around a lot of children with disabilities, um, both in families as well as our community. And I think there was such a strong village connection in my life growing up and and that was so vital for those children as well as that family unit and so to be able to replicate that for so many children in rural areas is something that I think I I really want to do for them because I know the impact that having a strong community and a strong village has um, on the child and the family regardless of whether they have a disability or not so I think you know realizing that passion that we're not just um, fixing a problem but we're creating a village um, and providing a community with you know lifelong education that is sustainable into the future is just something really amazing that I learned through the process another thing that I learned too that um, I've always put myself down for being a um, a really bad business person. <laughs> I always say that I'm a, you know, I'm a great nurse, but I just, business is really hard and something that doesn't come naturally to me. But the more I delved into the project, the more I realized that actually, you know what, I actually do know one or two things about business. And I do, um, I do celebrate the learning I've had over the last, you know, five years that, that I have been uh, the co-founder of PEDS. So, yeah, that was something that I, was, I really learned about myself and have been celebrating and, and sort of building on since the, since the pitch as well. Mm. Um, yeah, there's no handbook to how to 
I mean, there is how to start a business for dummies or something, but um, <laughs> uh, like it, it's just a learning curve. I think the whole way through, and I think as women, we're just a bit more vulnerable that um, you know, about our highs and lows and and how hard it is. Um, whereas maybe the other half um aren't so much. You know, it it all seems easy for them, yeah. um, for guys, yeah. But you know, business. I don't think I think they need to bring that into schools. I honestly do. <laughs> like I how to yeah. Been agreed. Yes, a lot of people yep. have fantastic ideas. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, so I mean, you've sort of touched on it throughout this little chat about why you know your project is important, but there was actually some other little bits of your pitch and your project, sort of you know combining them. Um that just sort of sparked my interest and it's because I'm a paper lover and I love storytelling. Um, one of them was the book. Yeah. Sorry, but I don't have any of this information yeah. in front of me at the yeah. minute. Yeah. But can you, um, can you tell me a little bit about this book series? Like, and I, I didn't really get to ask enough of it on the day or at the evening on our tea and I'm really interested. Tell me about this book, what it's called, what it's for and where's it going? Yeah, great. I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, a big portion of the prize money would be to go towards becoming NDIS registered. But there is another portion that um, I want to use to publish uh, the first of a series of books uh, to support rural families as well as rural kindergartens and schools and community centres um, with just some really light-hearted uh, material for children who have complex medical conditions. Now, to everyone, that word or that sentence probably doesn't mean a whole lot, but we're talking about children who have been born with really um, severe medical issues, and that might be things like cardiac conditions, so heart conditions, um, or they've been born with genetic issues or metabolic issues, and that has caused them to become um, uh, disabled in some aspect. So the first book that has already been written and is waiting to be published is called My Patchwork Heart and it is all about a child who uh, has been born with a congenital cardiac um, issue and it's not specific so that many children can relate to it Um, and it basically just tells the story uh, it's the mum telling the story of uh, the baby from birth and and surgery um, at one of you know the major children's hospitals Um, and then returning home and and what their little zipper means on their chest and it's just told sort of through the eyes of a child on the mother um, in a very simple storytelling way with some really beautiful graphics. So that's the first one. Um, There's another one called My Belly is a Pincushion for um, children who uh, have diabetes, which is increasing dramatically in the community. Um, And then the other one is called um, My Feet are Wheels, so uh, for children who are using a wheelchair. Uh, so, yeah, just some lighthearted books for kids uh, who have those conditions to relate to. They can see them in their libraries or in their community centres um, and there's something that parents can buy for their children um, if they have those um, conditions, but something that we want to be able to give uh, for free to those rural families who are experiencing this as well as those community centres and schools. Mm. Uh, did you write these yourself, Sarah? Yes, I did. Yes, I've always look at you, writer. (laughs) Update Um, LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been published yet, so I can't put writer yet. You can't. You've written them. Publisher. That's the probably the one where it's yeah that next step. But oh my gosh, you can put writer there for sure. And publisher, I'm sure would 
soon follow. Um, have you written before? Like, where did this all come from? Had you always known you could write stories? Did you have like a little affinity to, you know, writing things as you younger kid or yeah I've always loved 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 writing stories I grew up with my father um every single night he would lie in the passageway of one I was one of six and we all shared rooms um and he would lie in the passageway and tell us stories that he would make up himself and I think it stemmed right back from then and my sister's a very good writer and would uh, write me a whole bunch of novels I was a big reader so she would just write me novels when I had nothing else to read um and yeah I used to write songs and I used to write little books when I was growing up uh, but I haven't done it for a very long time so this is a really lovely way to combine that sort of childhood love as well as you know a little bit of my career and and where I want to head as well. Oh my god that's beautiful well I um I hope regardless of obviously what happens um at the announcement um yeah that these do um, yeah come out and, and see the light of day and I think they're just it's they're books where we're just opening our kids' world really too, isn't it, to to be more acceptable of so many different things and have diversity in what they're reading. Um, I mean, you'd be the same. Your kids would have come home with reader books, you know, for however many years and um, they all are pretty similar, aren't they? There's yeah, not they much... Are. Not much difference, you know. Yeah, yeah it's exciting just so lovely stuff. for a child who has experienced these things um, to see themselves. You know, it's that inclusiveness. Um, yeah, we know that having dolls and having books about children with Down syndrome has made an incredible impact. So, you know, it's just that next step further, and and just sort of adding to that that cohort of material for children. Mm, just a conversation starter. Sometimes that's all it needs to be um, to have that conversation. Excellent. So exciting. Um, well, it is a mini series. Again, I probably could talk to you about that whole book aspect, <laughs> that hidden talent, um, and really interested in it and that whole, um, even just the publishing journey, like how you go about that and um, yeah, what that looks like. Have you got a publisher in mind? Yeah, I'm note. just going to yep. self-publish to start with. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend yep. who's an author, so she sort of um, put me on the on the path. So perfect. Yes, I've got a plan in place. <laughs> awesome, amazing. Um, I was going to say, there's a few that have popped up on my Insta lately um, that sort of look after. I saw small publishers, which is really mm. exciting, and especially women. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, in regional rural areas, so uh, all very exciting, but. Thank you so much. Um, and again, I've learned so much um, about PEDS education and learned a little bit more about the NDIS, which is always important, I think. Um, and that statistics probably just stuck there at the moment. Um, and just, and I suppose that impact it has on, on our rural and remote communities. And it's just so exciting that there are people like yourself that are just so bloody clever, Sarah, um, and so passionate and you know, and trying to do something about it. So um, all the best with Peds Education and, uh, yeah, look forward to celebrating uh, in a few days in Melbourne. Thank you so much, Kimberly. It's been such a pleasure chatting. My pleasure. Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. I'm so glad we've met and that now you know a friend of mine. <laughs>